right, it's good to see everybody today. Everybody that I can see, good to see those online. Glad you are a part of what we're doing today. You matter. We were praying for you this morning before the service as we were talking about all the people that we get to pray with online that reach out to us that we've never met before. As we continue to learn how to um, reach out to people that we don't know online. And that's that ocean of people, right? Over seven, closing in on eight billion people on the planet. That's a lot of people. And even if you just look at the country of Facebook, that's about two billion. So uh, we've got our hands full. If we think we're going to do this in our own strength, we're deceiving ourselves. Um, But uh, we're not going to try to do this by ourselves. We're going to ask him to do this, whether it's online ministry or whether it's pray this uh, prayer or whether it's sing this song or whether it's preach this sermon, we're going to rely on him. Um, At least that's what I'm praying for. So I would like to open us up and uh, just continue to pray, continue to worship God as um, I anticipate sharing what God's put on my heart for you today. So let's pray again again together. Lord, I thank you for your word that north star, true north. It keeps us, uh, it makes it possible for us to reset, to reboot, to realign with our creator. Because I know I get off a lot. And I need to know, and it comforts me to know, that you're faithful, as we just sang, and that your faithfulness includes giving us clear direction on how to proceed no matter where we find ourselves in the moment. Lost at sea or grounded right at home, we still need to know where true north is to stay the course, to correct the course. And Lord, I just want to thank you for this church and the people in this church that over the years have stuck with us and been faithful. Even when I've I know I've given people reason to, to bail or to try something else, and I know that I'm not the only one because we are a church of imperfect people. Um, no perfect people allowed is kind of a cliche, but um, if they're out there, I'll welcome them, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> Lord, and I just thank you that you've been faithful and that you've been faithful to what you are doing in this church through faithful people, not perfect people. But yet they've persevered over the years, especially those who've been here for so long. And so, God, I thank you for them uh, because it's making possible what we're doing today. When people come and learn more about Grace Christian Fellowship, Lord, they're really just asking the question, what are these people like? Are they celebrating Jesus? Are they faithful to Jesus? Are they faithful to his work here, imperfect though it is? And I am so grateful that uh, they are. And I pray that we would, do, we would be more faithful to you, but that, Lord, in our weakness, your strength would continue to shine through us. And that's what we need today. We need to hear from you today. We don't need to hear from Darren. We don't need to hear from anyone else. We need to hear from you loud and clear. Your word is your, your megaphone. Your spirit empowers. And, Lord, I just pray guides me today as I try to preach a message that I just... I've struggled with all week. And so, Lord, I just pray you'll guide and direct my words. And, Lord, when I say things that are just not necessary, Lord, just 
delete them from our minds and fill them with whatever it is that we need to hear. But I do pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, I'm going to, let's do this here. Here we go. Um, we are finishing the book of Colossians today. It's hard to believe that I have spent 17 weeks doing this. I never would have expected it to take this long, but I really try to plan it out, but at the same time, I try to um, edit along the way. So if, if it's like God wants me to slow down, I try to slow down. And I'd like to tell you that I always hear him when he speaks, and I always obey when I hear him, but uh, those two things are not always true. So um, just praying for lots more of God's grace today. Um, are we able to put this on the screen, the scriptures? Um, I'm doing this through the iPad. I don't know if that's possible. Let me just kind of set this up. So the letter, if, you, if this is your first week on the last week of our series, that's okay. That's great. We are finishing the book of Colossians, which is a letter. And this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in the city of Colossae. Colossae located in the Lycus Valley, which is in modern-day Turkey today. And um, there's two other towns in that area at the time that are very similar. There were Hierapolis, which is, was famous for its hot springs. And you can still Google Earth that and see the white crystals all around where the waters still come up today. The hot springs are there. Um, Ice-cold water floats down from the mountains near Colossae. And then there's another town called Laodicea that's also there that we've read about in um, Revelation 3 and other places here. And so these churches were kind of sister church, sister city churches, okay? So whenever the Bible talks about a, a church in the New Testament, it's talking really about a network of churches that go with that town. So if it's the church at Colossae, it's really a network of house churches in the city of Colossae. So when we talk about the elders of Colossae, we're really talking about the leaders of those house churches working together in unity. And because these towns are close together, there was probably some collaboration there as well. Um, remember, they didn't have a Bible. They could just open and read. They had scriptures coming in <laughs> that, that were coming in from, uh, you know, hey, we got a letter from Paul today. <laughs> and uh, they got excited about getting mail too. And they would read that and share that in their services. So um, why did Paul write this letter to, Coloss to the Colossians? The reason he wrote it is because um, this church, which was a, a bubbly, growing, fruitful church, was under attack, okay? And it was under attack in that there were false teachers that were coming through and undermining what was causing them to be fruitful and, and causing them to doubt that Jesus was who he said he is and that Jesus had done what he had been, what he'd been doing and what he promised to do, okay? This is happening in our churches in America today. Um, anytime you, you hear about progressive Christianity, which is changing the culture and changing what Scripture means and saying that Scripture can change because of the culture. This is the kind of false teachings that can change who, how we see God and how we live out that faith. Okay? Now, that's an example of a, a false teaching. There's many kinds of false teachings. They were dealing with ones that said Jesus didn't Jesus isn't really our creator. He, did, he isn't God, really, who came in the flesh. And so you can, if you think about that a little bit, you can see the implications for that, if that's true, are, are devastating to our faith. So Epaphras is a guy who probably helped start that church, probably the pastor of that church, and was just really distraught. What do I do? 
And he says, I really need to talk to Paul. The Apostle Paul knows what he's doing, and he's started churches. He didn't start that church, but he has been. And so I just need to go see him. So I'm just going to go see him, which sounds great, right? Let's just go down the road and let's go see him. Well, it's 1,000 miles, okay? So um, it's kind of like, let's go to Kansas City and, get, and ask somebody a question. Oh, oh and by the way, I'm going to walk or use a donkey, or maybe I'll catch a ship if I'm fortunate. And so Epaphras travels on behalf of his church. This is a pastor I love, man. This is a guy who's willing to do whatever it takes for his church. And he travels 1,000 miles to go see the Apostle Paul. Now, he has to go to Rome because Paul's there in prison, under house arrest, chained to a praetorian guard 24-7. But he's in a situation where he's free enough to he can talk to people. People can come see him. They can talk to him. Um, and he can even, I think, I get the impression he can even preach out the window of his house he's in. Okay, this prison or whatever it is, whether it's out the door or out the window or whether they let him go out front on the stoop. And I don't know, but people are coming to hear him. They're asking him questions. There's, there, you read the book of Romans and, and especially the book of Acts, you can see there's a lot of back and forth. So Paul's accessible. And if you read the book of Philemon, which is just a one chapter book about a letter he wrote to a guy named Philemon, we learn that one of Philemon's runaway slaves finds Christ in Rome under Paul's preaching. At least that's the, the impression you get. So, um, so when Paul writes this letter, he's trying to give Epaphras what he needs to take back to his church to say, here's the remedy to what it is you're struggling with. Okay, now let's just pause that for a second and let's just zoom back 2,000 years to where we are today. And think about some of the issues that you and I are wrestling with in our lives today, right? We, we're dealing with things like, uh, we're, what, what do I believe is true? Okay, when I watch the news, what's true? What am I online? What, what is true? And then there's the question, what's truth? Okay, the metaphysical question. We're wrestling with things like, who, who can I trust? What really matters in life? What's my purpose in life? And all of a sudden, we start to realize there's some pretty heady questions that we're still wrestling with today that they were wrestling with back then. And they were doing well until these false teachers came in and started to, to stir things up and undermine, okay? And if you know, if you've ever been a part of a church, you know that it's, it's hard to deal with these kinds of things because you're dealing with people. And you, you, there's always this tension of doing what's right and, and doing what's popular or doing what's acceptable and, and, and staying, you know, I want people to like me, but if I put my foot down and, and then the, the disruption that that creates. So um, Epaphras, is, is, he needs help, and Paul gives him the help he needs. He writes this letter, and he sends it back, okay? Now, we're going to pick it up here at the end. When, at the end. You know when you write a letter, one of the things you sometimes do, well, I don't know. We don't really write letters anymore, right? We write emails, and that's not the same thing. It's similar, but a letter is like, I'm not gonna, you're not going to read this for a month because I'm going to send it snail mail, and you live in Timbuktu, and um, UPS and, and FedEx don't even go there, okay? Kind of letter and so you're writing a lot of information but you're also greeting people and at the end of this letter he greets a bunch of people but we can learn from these greetings some things about the church at Ephesus I'm sorry the church at Colossae the the team around Paul and how this should impact how we live as a church okay here's my bottom line my bottom line is that the fullness of Christ can show us the, the value of the fellowship of Christ. 
in the harvest that we're supposed to be a part of, okay? The fullness of Christ gives us this fellowship, true fellowship, in the midst of the harvest. And that's where we should be, okay? Now, um, I've, I've been on a few mission trips. I've been to a few countries. And one time I went to, this, this church sent me and a few others to Kazakhstan, which if you don't know where that is, it's right in the middle of Eurasia, kind of. It's in Asia, um, north of Iran. It's, a, it's the eighth largest country by land in the world. It's the largest country by land not touching an ocean. It's a part of the old Soviet Union. It used to be called the province of Kazakh. And uh, we went there for a little over a week, and we worked with Christians that were there. And we worked with several different groups. We worked with a church. We worked with a, a Christian nonprofit there. We went into the mountains and, and did ESL in the mountains using the prodigal son story. Um, we helped with VBS, and I learned how to peel carrots for hours and hours. And it was great. It was a great, a great experience. And one of the things that has been true for every mission trip I've ever been on is you go to a place where you've never been, and you hear a language you've never heard, and you're seeing things you've never seen, you're smelling things you've never smelled, and you're scared because you really don't have any control over anything that's happening. And, and then you meet a believer, and they're, they're not ashamed to tell you they're a believer, and you know that they're working in the harvest. In other words, they're reaching people for Christ. And there's this bond that occurs between you and them. See, some of you shaking your heads because you know what I'm talking about. That's unexplainable apart from the gospel. Okay. The closest thing I can think of is when you go to visit extended family and you take your family and you meet their family and in sometimes, and you've never met before, but you're like, we're blood related. And it's like, sometimes that goes well and you feel warm and fuzzy because they just accept you. Okay. Sometimes it's weird and you're like, I wish these people weren't related to me and I don't want to, you know, whatever. But it, it is something else to go to another country and you have nothing in common with those people except the fullness of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, okay? Now, if you've never experienced that, it's kind of hard to relate to, I get it, but it's real and it's powerful. And Paul is going to draw on that as he closes this book. Now, that song about the faithfulness of God is so appropriate for today because one of the key ingredients that throw, flows through this group of people that Paul has surrounded himself with is their faithfulness to each other in the midst of their faithfulness to God and the mission he's called us to. Now, if I had time, I'd take you through the parable of the soils, because in the parable of the soils, we learn, that, we learn this imagery, this imagery, this analogy of uh, the harvest. So when, when the New Testament talks about the harvest, it's referring to the harvest of souls. It's talking about the fruitfulness of ministry that leads people from death to life, from enemy of God to family of God kind of transformation, spiritual transformation. And, and the seed, a seed is, is analogy, analogous to the word of God. Our hearts are analogous to the soil, and there's different kinds of soil, and, and most soils are not conducive to the receptivity of that seed to the extent that it leads to maturity and fruitfulness. Okay? Um, a lot of y'all have gardens. You, you nurture gardens, whether you're on a farm or you just have a yard garden. Your purpose, I would imagine, in planting those things is that you might at some point reap a harvest of some kind. It might be, I've planted roses, so I'm going to reap rosebuds. It might be strawberries. I'm looking for strawberries. But you plant, and that plant is designed to do one thing, produce 
the fruit that it was designed to produce. Okay? And if it does that, you're pleased. And if it doesn't, you're like, oh, bad soil again. Or whatever your issue was, right? Not enough sun, not enough fertilizer, too much fertilizer. And spiritually, the same thing is going on. God is trying to do a work in this world. Or he is doing a work in this world. And he's inviting us to come and be a part of that work. And that work is, I want you to help me ex extend the kingdom and exalt the king. Extend the kingdom and exalt the king. And we do that by making disciples who make disciples. And the bullseye of a disciple is being like Christ and doing like Christ. Okay? That's the fruit. And when you and I do that, when we act, behave, speak, think like Christ, then we please the Father who, who created us because that's what he created us to do. He created us to be Jesus in our skin which means that he's going to look different in each person, but he's going to have the same kind of characteristics that Jesus would have. That's a fruitful life. And if you and I are trending in the direction towards Christ, then that's, where, that's the win. That's the win. The bullseye isn't I've arrived. The bullseye is I'm heading towards Christ. Okay? And, and that pleases God. Okay? And so just like a strawberry plant, when it bears strawberries... God is pleased with that plant. It is glorifying him by doing what he created it to do. When you and I bear the fruit of Christ, we are pleasing God by bearing the fruit he created you and I to do that, to do. But we're not born able to do that. We're born sinners, that's why we sin. And so we have to get from unable to bear the fruit that pleases our creator, to able to bear the fruit that pleases our creator. And that key ingredient is the fullness of Christ. That's another way of saying the spirit of God living in us. Okay? We cannot do it without that. We've got to have it. Now, we can fake it, but that ain't going to make it. Not long term. Now, when, when we go through these names, uh, before I do that, I, want to, I need to go back and I need to point out a couple of quick things. Because Paul is, is basically saying the reason we have this fellowship, I have this fellowship with these people here and the fellowship that is happening in the church at Colossae is because of this fullness of Christ. Now, where does that come from? Let's go to, let's just turn real quick to, and I, I need you guys actually to do that on the screen if you can help. Actually, I think I can do that. All right, so we're going to go to chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Colossians 1. 19 and 20. Sorry if you get, I don't mean to make you dizzy. Sorry. Here we go. For God was pleased. So Paul is writing and he says to them, he's in the midst of talking about who Christ is. For God was pleased, what pleases God? To have all his fullness dwell in him. Dwell in who? Okay, go back to verse 15 and it says the son is, and so this is talking about the son of God, Jesus Christ. Okay? So for God was pleased to have all his fullness. Now who's God? He's like right? Creator of all. He is, that is the name of who God is. He is pleased to have the fullness of the Godhead, deity, dwell in the Son of God as he inhabits a human body, okay? Granted, he empties himself of some of the some of the perks of being God Almighty, all right? Because you can't do that in an earth suit and pull it off because there's things that that suit of flesh limit you, okay? Can't be everywhere at once, okay? For example, for God was pleased to have all this fullness in him. Why? And through him to do something. What is it he wants to do? He wants to move us from enemy of God to children of God, from darkness to light, 
from death to life. There's no middle ground. You realize that you're either this or you're that spiritually. There's no in-between, okay? And he says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, things on earth, or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so the cross is the means by which God is able to forgive us because Jesus takes our place. And the only reason he could take our place is because he was qualified. And the only reason he was qualified is because he was tempted as we are, but yet did not sin. So that made him an unblemished sacrifice, lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Okay, now go to chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Okay, he's still talking about who Jesus is because he's going to turn from that in a minute and he's going to say, this is why it matters, okay? So hang with me. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So he's repeating what he said in 19, okay? He's saying it again to make a point. And in Christ, you, who's he talking to? You Colossians, you believers in the city of Colossae, but by extension, you and me. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Whoa! That should blow your mind. That should be hard to believe. We should be going, wait a minute. All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form in Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, you have been brought to fullness. What fullness? The fullness that is the deity. Are you saying I'm a God? No. But the fullness of the Godhead is in you when Christ is in you. And I just don't think anybody says that out loud because that sounds crazy. And so, of course, we don't believe it because if nobody's preaching it, and then we wonder why Christianity, the religion, looks so impotent. Because we don't believe God's in us. And if you don't believe it, you're like Clark Kent, who doesn't believe he's Superman. He's never taken off the suit. Now, that's a good-looking suit. But there's a suit under the suit, right? Because he can do stuff. But if he doesn't believe he can do it, then he's never going to launch himself into the air. He's never going to take an iron bar and try to bend it. Why? Because he doesn't believe he can. And you and I are like Clark Kent who doesn't believe he's Superman when we don't believe the fullness of Christ rests in me, in you. Uh, Listen, we can talk about a lot of felt needs in the room. Every one of those are covered by this. Okay, so let's not waste time talking about whatever it is you came in here complaining about or hurting over or suffering from. All of those are legit. I don't mean to minimize them. I'm just saying, you know what? How about let's be a little more productive, okay? Let's find hope. Can we do that? Can we find some hope? Can we use some hope today? Can we use some hope, Americans? Can we use some hope, people who live on planet Earth, this little ball of mud that's spinning and making a mess? I I could use some hope, too. And this gives me hope. Christ in you have brought him fullness of the deity. All right, let's go to chapter 3. Since then, starting in verse 1, since then you've been raised with Christ, okay? So that assumes that you believe that, and, and so you've got to believe that you're going to rise from the dead. Hello, that doesn't usually go over easy at parties, but um, yeah, you're going to rise from the dead too. You dying isn't really dying if you're in Christ. Your body, yeah, it can go into the, to the urn or into the coffin or wherever you want your body to end up. It doesn't matter. God can put it back together into something way, way better, but your soul lives forever somewhere. 
and truly alive is in the presence of God. And the other kind of alive is not where you want to be because it's real and it's hell and you don't want to be any part of that. Since then, okay, talking to Christians, that's his audience, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, okay, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, on earth, not on earthly things. So set your heart and your mind, just basically all of you, just set it on things above. Now, you might have heard the expression, he's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. All right, how many of y'all heard that? Anybody? Is that just an old saying nobody's heard of? Just, okay, not so much. Well, it's not a good saying, okay? I think the problem is we're, we're not heavenly-minded enough, okay? We're not living in light of eternity. And I think that's why we're making some of the decisions. Now, he says why this matters. Why would I want to set my hearts and minds on things above? Because I died. Wait a minute. You're standing here. Did you die? I died. I surrendered my life. When we baptize, we immerse people. And the way we, what we say is we say buried together with Christ, raised to walk a new life with him. Okay? And it's like the, the, the tub of water is like a watery grave so it's an analogy it's a picture of what has happened spiritually inside someone who has truly been born again they've died to their old nature they've died to their old ways and been set free from the power and enslavement that comes with that and now they don't have to live and walk in deadness but in life okay that's good news right that's good if you believe it i don't want to, i don't even want to know how many people i've baptized that didn't believe it it's sad but sometimes we baptize people that don't really believe it. They've taken a step towards Christ maybe, or maybe they've just been talked into The reality is that doesn't save anybody. The baptism is a symbol of what should have already happened in them, and it may or may not have. Okay? This is where a lot of American Christians, so-called Christians are. They think they know the Lord. I was one of those. At 13, I went through confirmation class, or 12, or whatever the age was, and I came out, and they gave me a membership card. So I was clearly, I mean, I'm good. I got a membership card. I got a Bible with my name on it. I got a hymnal with my name on it. I got crosses. I'm, you know, I'm it at 13. I'm feeling good. I am one proud acolyte walking down the aisles with my little light the candles and then snuff them out at the end of the service, patting myself on my spiritual back because I am that and, you know, I didn't have much else to, you know, 13-year-old. But, you know, that's all just religion. Not true religion either. Okay? So, it, to believe this is, I mean, folks, it, people should be calling Christians like crazy when they hear what we believe. And you and I have to decide, do I really believe this? So, um, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ, okay? Hidden with Christ. There's another way of saying the fullness of Christ and I are together. For, and then here's how, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Oh, sorry, verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear, you will appear with him in glory. That's that future that we need to linger on more often and think about. This is not all there is. If I know this is not all there is, in fact, if I know that that's way better than this, I don't cling to this quite as tightly. And so I'm, I'm free. That's freedom. You free to die? You feel okay about dying? I don't really want to go through the process, but to be dead, I'm okay with that because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If I believe that's good news, then I'm not afraid to die. I mean, I'll be looking forward to the process. I can still remember I was driving Anita's little Honda Civic. This was when we were in seminary, and I had about a 35-minute 35 35 commute in Raleigh traffic. 
And I'm pulling in up to Capitol Boulevard, which is US 1 up through the middle of Raleigh, going north of Raleigh to back to seminary housing. And I'm in the middle lane, and I'm, I'm accelerating, and there's a dump truck on the left. And the you know, dump trucks, they're just kind of slow. And so I'm just passing him in the middle lane. Well, he doesn't see me accelerating to pass him because I'm in his blind spot, I guess. And so um, I don't see him coming over because I've just passed him, and he clips my quarter panel, and I commenced to doing 360s on Capitol Boulevard. And I end up in the middle of the median, which is a grassy median, didn't hit anything, just kind of going, how did I get here? Car still running, <laughs> totaled car still running, go Honda, right? And it, it, was, it was amazing because my life just flashed before me and I wasn't afraid of the idea that I might have been dead. Didn't, okay, I'm shaken, sure, um, but I knew it was like a test. It's like, do you, are you afraid to die? And I was like, I'm not. I'm not looking to, I'm not like trying to accelerate the process or any of that. But it was, it was kind of affirming to me to go, okay, I'm not. Because I know people who are afraid to die, okay? We've seen some of that in the last two years, that fear, excessive fear, not reasonable fear. There's a purpose that God wired us to be fearful in, in certain circumstances. Now, let's get to the text we're actually supposed to be preaching today, preacher. Okay, starting in verse 7, and I'm going to run through this quickly because there's a lot of names, and I'm going to describe, I'm going to tell you a little bit about each person, but here's what I want you to come back to. I don't want you to miss, this is the point, it's like a one-point sermon, preachers never preach one-point sermons, so embrace the moment because it's not going to happen ever again, okay? The fullness of Christ gives us the fellowship that we yearn for in the body of Christ. But that fellowship requires us to be in the harvest for it to happen. That's a key ingredient. Now, fellowship is not a potluck on Sunday, okay? I know we call them fellowships. It does a disservice to the name and the word fellowship, okay? I mean, if fellowship meant potluck suppers on Sundays, then this is Grace Potluck Sunday Grace Christian Potluck Sunday. That's the name of this church, because that's, and that's ridiculous, okay? Although I do like potlucks. Okay, Tychicus is the guy's name here, if you're wondering how to say this. Tychicus will tell you, okay, so now what is he saying? It's final greetings, okay? You can even see it there. Now, um, I need to switch to this, because I can actually draw on this one. Okay, Tychicus. There we go. All right, Tychicus is a guy who's been with Paul for about three years, on and off, he probably met him in Ephesus. Now, Paul's first missionary journey, he went church to church. He went city to city, started churches. It was like he'd go to a city and start a church. It was like, how do you do that? And he'd just keep doing it, okay? Second missionary journey, he does the same thing without Barnabas. He and Barnabas split up. Barnabas and Mark go one way. He and Silas go the other. Same thing, same process, same results. Third missionary journey. I don't know why, he changes his strategy, and he says, I'm going to set up a camp, base camp in Ephesus, which is a major city in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, okay? And he, he would train and then send out people, okay? Now, Tychicus was there, he probably met him there, and, and Tychicus remembers the riot that happened because of the um, Temple of Artemis and the silversmiths were making the little statue idols that they could sell and make good money on. But because the gospel was changing lives so dramatically in the city, people quit buying them. Okay? No demand, no selly, no happy merchants. Riot. 
Okay, that's what happened. That's the short version. You go read it in Acts. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me, Paul says, and us, really, by implication, because Paul's not there by himself. He is a dear brother. Look how he describes him, a dear brother. Okay, so there's there's the affection, and there's the connection in Christ. A faithful, there's the word, faithful minister and fellow servant, okay? And I always think of minister as someone who serves, but it's a, there's, a, there's a, I think there's kind of a religious connotation in this, in that he, um, it, it's ministry in, in the word, not just ministry like. You can, like you can serve tables and that's ministry, deacons, right? And you can serve by teaching a lesson or counseling with somebody across the table, and that is his ministry of the word. So he's doing both. He's, he's serving, and, and there's this faithfulness, this fellow, dear brother. So you can just kind of feel the love, right? Pick Tychicus. He, I can count on this guy. And his job oftentimes was he would take the letter that Paul had just written, and he would take it, it's, you know, a scroll. He'd stick it in his scroll tube, put it over his shoulder, and he would go, okay? And Paul's going to send him to Colossae, so he's got a thousand-year, a thousand-year, thousand-mile trip he's about to undertake, and he'll have the, the, the book of Colossians on his back, and probably Philemon too, okay? I am sending him to you. Listen to why. Of all the things Paul could have said, this is what he says. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that, they, that he may encourage your hearts. So they need encouragement because they're being discouraged by the false teachers, because teaching matters, because truth matters, which is why you and I are anguishing over the truth that we, uh, the lies that we see around us and people either believing the lies or people taking the truth and twisting the truth and it makes us mad. And there's a certain sense in which it should. Justice, righteousness should hate lies. Okay, now sometimes we get beyond what is righteous anger and we go where we shouldn't go. So he's trying to encourage them, all right? And he's coming with Onesimus. So this is guy number two, okay? Now, Onesimus is a runaway slave, okay? Philemon was a slave owner who was a Christian. That's another sermon for another day, okay? I don't recommend you be a slave owner, okay? But he got Paul worked in his life in such a way that Onesimus, who became a Christian in Rome after he ran away from his Christian's owner, okay? Of all the places he could run away to, he goes a thousand miles to Rome because you can hide because there's millions of people. But the gospel finds him and God finds him and rescues him. And now listen how he's described. Our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. Who is you? The Colossians. He's one of the Colossians because he was there. Philemon's a member of the church at Colossae. He would have been a part of those services even though he wasn't a believer at the time. He would have heard the gospel over and over and over. But now he, he hears it here, and he believes, and he becomes someone who goes from useless to useful. And I use that word intentionally because the definition of Onesimus is useful. That's what his name means. And Paul says he became useful. He truly became Onesimus when he came to know the Lord. I just think that's so great. God is so in the details. Okay, so they will tell you everything that is happening here. So once again, he's talking about what's happening here. Why? Because what's happening here should encourage them there. Okay, now, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus. Now, the first two guys we talked about are Gentiles. A Gentile is someone who's not a Jew. The uh, next three are all Jews, okay? And Paul's got a special place in his heart for Jews because he's a Jew, 
He's a Roman citizen, but he's also a Jew. In fact, he's a Jew who was one of the top Jewish scholars, rabbis there at the time. So he's not only all in on the Jewish culture, he's all in on the Jewish religion until Jesus says, yeah, you want a completed Jew? I'm going to make you a completed Jew. I'm your Messiah. And Paul has a really hard time not believing him when he strikes him with lightning, blinds him, and then heals him from the blindness and shows him the gospel in the midst of all of that. It's pretty dramatic. You need to read the Bible. It's really exciting. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, okay, sends his greetings, sends his greetings, as does Mark. Okay, so it doesn't really say much about Aristarchus here, but if you go to Acts, if you go to Ephesians, if you go to Philemon, you see that he was with Paul for the last three years and he was with him the entire time unlike Tychicus. He was with Paul when the riots happened in Ephesus. He went with Paul to Jerusalem to carry the special offering to the poor in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem was suffering because of all the persecution. And so when someone would trust Christ, if they couldn't own, they would be disowned by their family. And if that was a woman, then she had no way to make money unless she wanted to be a prostitute. That's a problem for a Christian woman in Jerusalem. And so they need money. And so Paul takes a collection from all the churches in the, in the Gentile regions. And he and Aristarchus and others carry it safely to Jerusalem to give to the church there. While he's there, there's a flash mob and they, they try to kill Paul. And the Romans arrest Paul thinking he's a revolutionary and they save his life in the process. And then they realize he's a Roman citizen. And so they send him to Caesarea his life's constantly under in danger, but eventually he appeals to Caesar because he wants to be set free, but he wants to present the gospel to Rome at the same time. And so he ends up in a Roman prison, chained to a Praetorian guard for years, 24-7, preaching the gospel to the people in Rome. So he kind of gets what he wants, right? Even though he would have liked a better Airbnb than that. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark. Okay, you may recognize that name. Mark is the same Mark that wrote the book of Mark which is really the Gospel of Peter. But nevertheless, Mark wrote it down, so he gets credit, I guess. You can put, if you're writing, you can put your name at the top if you want. So Gospel according to Mark, per Peter maybe, the cousin of Barnabas. Okay, so they're tight, which is why Paul and Barnabas bump heads. The second missionary journey, why can't Mark go with us? Because he bailed on us the last time. Barnabas, get it? Get it through your head. And so they end up going their separate ways. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So this is 12 years later. Okay, this is cool because Paul, he's having nothing to do with Mark on the second missionary journey because Mark started on the first missionary journey and Mark bails because it gets hard or because he gets his feelings hurt or because he thinks Barnabas should still be in charge and Paul is kind of taken over. We don't know exactly why, but all of those were factors. And the point is this, 12 years later, Paul has, that, that relationship is healed and he is saying, if Mark shows up, You've received, let's do this, okay? The Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him if he comes to you. Welcome him, okay? And then later in his last letter, when he's not in prison under house arrest, but in the dungeon in Rome, 2 Timothy 2, chapter at the end of that letter, he, he speaks even more highly of Mark at that point in his life. So he and Mark are good, Okay? And then he says, um, if you receive instructions, welcome him. Verse 11, Jesus, this is not Jesus Christ, this is Jesus who is called Justice, another Jew, also sends greetings. And then he says this about all three of the guys. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. He means they are right then. And they have proved a comfort to me. Okay? They're comforting because 
right? We love our own people, right? And Jews, they just get, there's just a connection there that no one else really gets because it's unique. And then he's comforted because they're partnering with him in this work, okay? Now they're starting to feel what fellowship like, okay? They're tight. They finish each other's sentences. They live together. So when one's praying, the other one hears what he's praying, literally, uh, what's burdening him, what's, what he's crying out to God. And these are folks that are not so, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I can't pray because my faith is private. Okay. Okay. Your faith is personal. It's not meant to be private. But um, so they know each other. They're tight. They're close. And it comforts Paul. Why is Paul needing comforting? He's in jail. Okay. Epaphras is not a Jew. We talked about him, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ. Bear with me. I'm just going to read it. This is verse uh, out of chapter 1, verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. So he's a dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love, the Colossians' love in the Spirit. So Paul speaks to him in multiple places because, again, he's the one that prompted the letter. He's one of you, one of you Colossians, a servant of Jesus Christ, and he sends his greetings. And then he tells you what he's doing. And this is really, there's a, you could do a whole sermon just on this one verse, uh, these two verses. This is how he's praying. He is always, so he's praying, it's almost continuously, wrestling in prayer for you, Colossians. Now, wrestling, the root word there is the word we get our word agonize from. Okay. Whenever I think of agonize and, and kind of in athletics, I think of the, uh, you know, the Olympics, they tend to do really good camera work on the Olympics and they, get, they capture the expressions on their faces when they're in anguish, whether it's before they get out there to do their thing, while they're doing it, or even afterwards. Um, there's this, there's this agony, and he's, that's how he's praying. And Paul's saying that because he's been seeing it. Okay. Um, the quote, I can't remember the guy's last name. Uh, I think the last name is Jowett, J-O-W-E-T-T, John Jowett. And I have no idea who the guy is, but he said this quote, prayer that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. Prayer that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. Now, I'm still, I'm still processing that. I'm not sure I'm 100% in on that. I've been pushing back, but every time I push back, it's like God says, read it again. <laughs> it's kind of... Read it again. Okay, I'm like, because, and here's why I push back. Because I don't like that. Because that means that some of my prayers would accomplish nothing because I put so little into them. Okay? So, um, I've seen God answer some pretty quick, instant prayers. Does that mean there was nothing there? I, you know, maybe that's the question. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. So, it's personal. And here's why. So that you may stand firm... In all the will of God, and what does that look like? You're mature spiritually, and you're fully assured in your faith. You have assurance that I am who I am because of what he's done for me. I'm sure that what Jesus did is good enough. And so you feel that, you see that, and he's praying that they'll have that because the heretical teachers and the heretical teachings are undermining that assurance. When you and I see some Christian talk about things and they start re-explaining the Bible as if things can change, that undermines our faith. It causes us to be less sure. When people say, when people mock you or tease you or call you names because of what you believe, that causes, that undermines your assurance of your salvation too. And I I want us to be aware of that. That's human nature. But it's not okay for us to just give in to that. 
Okay? This does not change. Okay? Truth does not change. It's called a truth and a principle because it's timeless. Okay? God created time. Truth already existed. His name is Jesus. Okay? So if Jesus said it, it's true. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter when you live. It doesn't matter if you live. It's true. And so you and I have a decision to make. Do I believe it or not? That's really the rub, isn't it? Right? It's not, a, do I believe God can do this? It's, do I believe God will do this? And that's the, that's the challenge of Christian life in a nutshell for me. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. I love that. Working hard for you. And for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. This is the Lycus Valley again, and I think that he probably was involved in all those churches. Our dear friend Luke. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts, which is really Luke part two. Um, Luke is the life of Jesus, and Acts is the life of the early church. The Acts of the early church, the Acts of the apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, however you want to define that. But Luke is the author in both cases. Dear friend. He doesn't say a whole lot, but that says a whole lot. Dear friend. Luke has been with him. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll notice that the pronouns change all the way up to the part where, he gets, where they get to the city of Troas, right before they go into Philippi. I think that's chapter 16-ish. It's they and them. And then at Troas, all of a sudden, the pronouns change to we and us. What's, that, what's just happened? Luke showed up. Luke's in the story. You see, details matter. Translations matter. Words matter. Read it. It's good stuff. Okay? And so Luke, is, he's in the story, and so he can write about it, because some of it is eyewitness accounts. Luke the doctor, and then there's this fellow named Demas. Okay? He didn't say anything about Demas here. Now, Demas shows up in Scripture two other places. The first place he shows up is Philemon 24, okay, which is that letter I was telling you was written to a person, and it's not written, it's written about the same time as Colossians, maybe a little before. And in that, Paul calls Demas a fellow worker. Okay? So, 2 Timothy 4.10, which is in the future. It happens later. Paul says, I'll just read it to you. Paul says that Demas has left me. He's deserted me. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, who's loved this world. Which makes me think of 1 John 2. 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. It doesn't mean don't love the people of the world. It means don't love the philosophies and the ways of the world. If, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away. They're temporary. They don't satisfy but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so Demas, so he's a part of this and yet not. He doesn't understand the fullness of Christ. He doesn't have it, apparently. And so he doesn't experience the fellowship. Okay? Now sometimes people who have the fullness of Christ miss out on the fellowship because they just don't walk in it. They don't believe it. And so we don't really know where he is, where he ended up. Um, we just, that's all we know about Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Remember, the churches of the first 300 years were all in homes, okay? So when we have small groups and we complain about not being enough room and kids are there and 
food is, and people are messy, and it's like, well, try having church in your house, okay? And uh, I think it's well worth the, the mess and challenges that go with it. Easy for me to say, all right, give my greetings to them. Okay, verse 16, after this letter has been read to you, he gives them some instructions. So he says, see that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So Paul actually wrote a letter to the Laodiceans, which we don't have. I don't think we have it. Um, it may, we may have it in the form of, I don't know, book of Ephesians. We don't know. But there were two letters sent to churches and they were supposed to read and then trade. And what would have happened is they would have read it and somebody would have been copying it down before it got gone. So they would have their own personal copy and this is why there are thousands and actually 25,000 different partial or whole pieces of the New Testament that exist today. Um, and they, um, it's, what's so amazing is not that they're, what's amazing to me is that they all say the same thing. 25,000 copies. And you can say, there, there, there's, some, there's some minor issues, you know, in spelling or a word here or a number there, but they don't make any meaningful impact on the meaning of the text. And so this actually should give us great confidence that what we're reading is the word of God because you would expect that they would be greatly divergent if this wasn't true. But if God is overseeing that, then there's a confidence there. Then he speaks to this young man named Archippus. I say Archippus, but he's young because in the book of Philemon, we get the indication that he's probably Philemon's son. And this is what he says to Archippus. He says, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Okay? Some of you, God has put his finger on your heart and your, and your head, and he said, I want you to do this. And you said... Yes, Lord, and you haven't done it. He could be saying this to you, I don't know. See to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. It came from him. That's a pretty good source, right? Young people, okay, you hear from the Lord and it, it can come across that you, you leave a service or a situation and you're like, the Lord has called me to do this. And then if you don't act on that, and I don't mean necessarily that you get out of school and quit your job, and I'm not saying necessarily that radically dramatic. It could happen. It could be appropriate. What I'm saying, though, is that there's a resolve to finish what God has started in you. Okay? Don't let 10 years go by and you go, yeah, I remember when he did that, and now I can't do that. Okay, that's another conversation that you may or may not be able to say honestly that you can't do that. But if you think you can't do that, it really makes it difficult to follow through. Paul is telling him, don't wait for that to happen. And then Paul finishes up with this. Write this, I, write, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. What does that imply? That he didn't write the rest of it. He dictated it to Tychicus. But here he's going to authenticate the letter by handwriting it. But here's what interests, one commentator said this, and I thought this was pretty, pretty uh, spot on. He said, it's like he went to take the, style, uh, the stylus or the pen or whatever they're writing with, and, and he's, oh, oh yeah. He was reminded he was chained to this Praetorian guard. And so he goes, remember my chains. Yeah. Now why would he say that? He never asks, he never prays, says, pray for me to be freed. You know that? That had been pretty high on my prayer list. 
pray that I get out of this place. But he recognizes that God is using him there. And while he doesn't enjoy being chained to another human being 24 hours a day, he is seeing the fruit of that ministry. So why is he saying this? Remember my chains. Why did God put that in there is my, my question, right? Because there's no filler here. You realize that, right? There's nothing in scripture that's filler. It's like, well, I didn't know what to say here, so I'm gonna throw a genealogy in here. No, that, that's there for a reason. Okay, I mean, yeah, I skip over it sometimes too. But it's there for a reason, and there's no filler. So why is he saying, remember my chains? I don't know exactly why, but here's a couple of thoughts. One is, Paul wants them to remember that he's in prison. Why does he want him to remember he's in prison? So they'll feel sorry for him, so they'll pray for him. <laughs> okay, so he's not asking for prayer, but he kind of is. But I think he's saying, I'm in chains, but I'm still free. Okay? I'm free. I surrendered to the Lord, and I'm going wherever he sends me, and I'm okay if I'm free in jail. Okay? That's easy for me to say and go, yeah, you should do that too. Notice I didn't say me, right? Because who wants that? Who wants that testimony? Yeah, I was in jail for two years for something I didn't do. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, you know, can't sing that song anymore. Oh, no. Remember my chains. And then remember the chains in which you find yourself under right now. Right? There are a lot of things that can enslave us besides iron bars, aren't there? Are you letting those things rob you of your freedom too? Because you don't have to. If you're in Christ, you have been freed. You have been set free. But there's the question again. Do I believe that I've been set free? It's the old picture. I'm going to sell the doors open, but I just don't believe it's really true. I'm not going to walk out there. Because it's not re- I'm not really free. The door's open. I see it. It's not really true. Okay? Do I believe? Remember my chains. Remember your chains. And let them go. Let them fall. Okay? Because you're free in Christ. Grace be to you is, is, is salutation. Okay. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, I, I thank you for... Um, I thank you for this word. I thank you for what you are saying to us today. I have a feeling that you said a lot of different things than even what I said today. Because there are a lot of needs in this room represented by the folks that are here, those who are watching, listening. And you know every one of their needs. And you know what they need and how to meet that need right now. Whether they're listening to this live or recorded, you know exactly what they need right now. Lord, my prayer is they would believe that that is true to so, so much so that they would live as if that were true, that they would literally talk to you about what's going on right now, that they would just stop everything else and just be with you, be honest with you. And Lord, whatever is enslaving them, whatever is imprisoning them, that they would believe that you can set them free from that. Ultimately, Lord, we need you to set us free from shame and guilt, sin and death, hell itself. And that happens through the blood of Christ. But also there are other things in our lives that we can allow to entangle us and keep us from being fruitful. The worries of this world, just a shallow way of doing life, you know, talking a good game, being a Christian, whatever that means, but not really truly following you. God, I pray we would repent of that right now. That nauseates you. 
when we just play, when we just pretend. Lord, may we shed the masks and walk away from the disbelief, the lies that we choose to believe or the things that are true that we choose not to believe. I pray we would get honest and get mad at our hypocrisy. Grab it by the throat. Deal viciously with it, violently with it. Not accept it anymore. Not settle for that anymore. The fullness of Christ resides in us, Lord. The fullness of you. Help us in our unbelief. Forgive us for our doubts. Fill us with your spirit that we might overflow with the power and the presence of God in such a way that leads to healing, it leads to wisdom, it leads to confidence, not in ourselves but in Christ who's in us. A boldness, a holy boldness that leads us to love people with grace and truth. Together. And that would lead to a fellowship in the body of Christ at this church and others that would be unmistakably gospel rich and then we would know the reason that it was true and possible would be because you are with us in us fully in Jesus name amen